Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 30th, 2020. This is episode 2628 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, we're doing a listener feedback show today. I've kind of not been on the regularly scheduled programming. I've been kind of all over the map because, of course, we have, we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm actually making some decisions right now internally about possibly going to a four-day work week. I have been uh, pushing myself and, and doing so much more than I normally do that some of the things I need to get done on my property are not getting done. I put out a video today of some of the things I've gotten done. I've got, I've got a lot done, but, man, um, I'm wearing myself out. And I, I, I teach a lot about self-care and lifestyle design here, and I may, I may do that. I may go to a four-day work week for a couple weeks. If I do, I'll probably still run a rewind for you guys or something. Uh, I think it's important that we stay in touch during this time, and I'll, I'll be in touch on social media and all. But uh, it's, it's been a rough few weeks here, and that has made me put a lot of effort into discussing what you can do about the current situation um, both for those of you who have been part of this movement for a long time and are as well prepared as you can be, and for those that are caught really unaware. And I want to keep doing that. And so our top story today is going to be the latest. I'm calling it the latest on hydro hydroxychloroquine and why I refuse to shut up about it. Right now I feel that the number one thing that we can do to help people who actually get sick is education. I mean, that, that beyond anything else. And the data has gone from encouraging to kind of overwhelming here. And so I'm going to do that segment. That I'm, I have also been uh, live streaming the podcast on Facebook. And believe it or not, that actually makes, makes more work. I know it doesn't seem like it. You just turn it on and do it. But it, it makes more work. I'm going to live stream that segment only today. I'm going to do that so that you can share it. My concern with hydroxychloroquine is that people just know. And that they know to push back on there's no scientific proof or whatever other bullshit you're you're told about this. And again, I will give you some rationale behind what you know the mainstream is doing here, both the malicious and that which is done in ignorance. And and then the, what what can also be considered somewhat justifiable due to supply issues. But I'm telling you right now, if if I were to test positive for COVID. I would find a doctor to prescribe it, which the FDA has now approved specifically for off-label use for COVID. And this has nullified some of the governor's bullshit that the governors of New York, uh, Michigan, and Nevada have done. I don't know if there's any others that have done similar things, but I know those three did this, and their edicts are now null and void. And this is very important. So I'm going to live stream that, but... I'm also going to do a bunch of other stuff today. I do have one other segment on COVID that will be pretty uh, short. I have an on-the-ground COVID report from a New York from New York City, and I'm going to contrast that from what I'm being told about Seattle. And I'm sure some people are going to tell me, you don't know jack shit about Washington and what's going on. I'm going to tell you what people who are at the Seattle hospitals almost daily and at the drive through checkpoints almost daily in Seattle are telling me. And it doesn't mean there isn't a problem. It doesn't mean it's all over. And backside of the curve does not mean we're through this. 
backside of the curve can still be way up in the air. And there could be a long time until you're out, and then there also can be a long time until the hospital load comes down. right? And it doesn't mean you can't have another flare-up, but there's some very encouraging things going on, in my opinion, with the Washington State and specifically Seattle. Um, now, let's do some other stuff, though, today. Some typical listener feedback show has nothing to do with COVID. Some fun stuff. I have a new show I'm binging on Netflix. I'll tell you just like a little bit about it, just because maybe you'll like to watch it, too. Uh, it is kind of more of an adult con. It's definitely an adult content show. I'll just say that for those of you with young kids. And I want to tell you a little bit about Cole Reisner, who's a, a musician who I really dig, who's played at my place at least three times. Uh, he did a concert on, uh, on Facebook Saturday night. It was awesome. I want to tell you just about that so we can have some fun here. And tell you I'm going to reach out to Cole and see if maybe he'll do it again. And if I know a few days in advance, I can tip you guys in. And we had a pretty big TSP reunion going on during that Cole Reisner concert. Um, then I'm going to talk about the stimulus bill. Very briefly. Here's what that segment's going to be called. Why I don't even care about what pork is in the two-plus trillion-dollar stimulus bill right now. Don't even care right now. Doesn't mean I won't ever care. Just means that right now, I don't have time to care. And I'll tell you why, anything that you can get out of it, take it. Take it. Take it. And if you don't want yours, send it to me. I'll bill you for it. You can write it off your taxes. I'll bill you for consulting. And I'll say that I consulted with you and told you to keep the money, and you didn't, and I charged you your money for not listening to me. And I'll make a pretty good case for that. A listener reports on his hydroponic progress. He's only been doing this for 33 days, started from zero. And it's exactly what I said you can do if it's what you want to do. Uh, I have a question about using yard debris. I'm going to talk about lazy composting, fungal composting for that. I have um, thoughts on a business a person is considering, rent a garden business. And it's actually, he's in a pretty good spot to do it. If it'll work anyway, it'll work there. And I think you can do it in a pretty low-risk way if you have the setup he does. A question on reverse osmosis, whole house water filters versus filters like those from Berkey. Um, dealing with quail that are not laying when they should be. And a very expensive, like $1,800, ouch, but very cool air rifle known as the Air Force Texan. And uh, why I think you're going to see more rifles like this come out in time and why that may actually drive the price down. But my, why I might, I don't know. They won't be right now. It'll be after all this crap's over. But I feel like when this crap's over, I'm going to do something for myself. I, I really do. I, I think I'm going to do something that I normally wouldn't do. I'm going to buy myself a present um, that I don't need because I just want it. And if it happens to be something that actually is very useful, fine. I'll tell you why it might be this very expensive suppressed big bore air rifle that absolutely would be sufficient for killing big game like white-tailed deer. And it's so quiet you can hear the ping of a uh, steel target 50 yards away, over the sound of the rifle itself. I'm not kidding. That's going to be our wrap-up one today. So, as you can see, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're going to continue on with lifestyle design and planning for the future, because that's what is really important here. Before we get into that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is RidgeWallet.com. I uh, love the Ridge Wallet. About two years ago, that's we're in our third year now with Ridge as a, uh, a sponsor. I had, I had a couple sponsor spots that opened up. Doesn't happen often. And um, I got contacted by a guy, and he's like, yeah, we want to do this with Ridge Wallet. And I'm like, I, 
TSP is the survival podcast, you know, like kind of like this, like, I, I don't know. They're like, well, you have lots of people listening to you and we have a cool product and we think that's a good enough match. Let us send you one. They sent me one. I realized that not only was it a better way to carry your important, uh, you know, stuff like your credit cards and your ID and your money, but it also prevented uh, identification theft. I became a believer. Uh, the next month, I went ahead and brought them on as a sponsor after I used it for a month. I'm still carrying the Ridge Wallet. Um, I have not gone back to my billfold. It was an adjustment. Like all the crap I had in my billfold, some of it didn't fit in there. And I'm like, I really don't know about this. I don't like change. I'm like Garth from Wayne and Garth. We fear change, right? But I'm like, you're a big boy. You can do this for a month. And if you don't like it, just go back to it. Same thing I tell people about cutting like a cable bill down or something. Like cancel that shit for a month. See if you, how you feel at the end of a month. If you really want it back, I'll turn it back on. I tried it. Never went back. I will carry the Ridge Wallet until the rest of my life or until something better comes along. RidgeWallet.com. Check them out. They do a discount for MSB as well. Next up, if you can get any right now, silver is a great buy. Check out JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the place that you want to get your silver. Why? Free shipping on all orders. Better prices than the big silver houses like Monix and Atmex. And discount for MSB members. And all order ship insured. Check them out today. JMBullion.com. Silver and gold should make up 5 to 10% of your net wealth. If it doesn't, you might want to start investing now because now silver and gold are both way down. Again, I'm not sure how much you can even buy right now. A lot of silver places are like... I don't buy it, and they're taking their inventory off the market. I didn't check out Jam Bullion today, but you might want to and see if anything's available. I know a lot of people have been trying to buy silver and gold lately and have actually not been able to do so. It's an interesting thing. Lowest prices in a long time, but nobody wants to sell. Hmm. It's really a weird time, and it says something about the value of silver and gold. Usually, if prices drop to where nobody wants to sell, then buying pressure forces prices back up. It's been different this time. Really, really, really think that signifies an opportunity, though. I really do. Just you heard it here. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, get into the uh, main topic of today's show. And uh, again, I'm going to actually live stream the segment that we're about to do on hydroxychloroquine. Um, so, like I said, I, I really feel like we have a duty to our loved ones, not just to if we hear they get covid To say, hey, hey, ask your doctor about this. I don't think that's good enough right now. I think we need to get as many people as possible as well-informed in advance. Let me just give you kind of the, the base level of what's going on here. Right now, there is somewhat of a shortage if you wanted to use chloroquine to treat everybody who tests positive. It would even be a shortage to treat everybody that tests positive that's having significant symptoms. And I think that's a little bit of the somewhat justifiable reason that there's been some pushback by the establishment of we're not sure yet. Because bullshit, you are sure, you do know. Let me say that one more time. Bullshit, they are sure, they do know. The people in media that keep talking about this like there's no scientific proof or whatever, there's only two ways that, that they can say that. One is ignorance and the other one is dishonesty. Those are the only two ways you can say that at this point. This stuff has been used by doctors, not politicians, but doctors in Australia, in Japan, in uh, South Korea, and now in the United States, and most effectively and definitively in France. Okay? Do you know how many doctors who have actually used it specifically earlier on in treatment say it doesn't work? 
Zero. That's how many. Zero. Um, you keep hearing there's no proof that it works. No, what there is a lack of evidence for is any indication that at least for a large majority of the people that is used on by a large majority of doctors who have the balls to actually use it, there is no evidence that it doesn't work. Let me say that one more time. There's no evidence that it doesn't work. So, again, hydroxychloroquine, which is a, a later uh, manifestation of the drug that was simply called chloroquine, is a drug that has been with us and been used since the 1940s. The 1940s. It is an anti-malarial, but it is also used on, for patients with lupus, and it's used for patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So it is not only used for malaria. The standard, this is a very important little fact of information here. The, 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 the dose I am seeing most recommended by doctors who have used it early on, and I want to talk about the two ways that this is being used, because we're ignoring the more important one, which is early on. But early on, doctors are using, to my understanding, I'm not a doctor, I could be wrong about this, but I know it's also the dose that's just being made in the millions by at least three pharmaceutical companies right now. Like, their floors are making more of this than has been made any time in history right now. They're making 500 milligram doses, right? So my understanding, and again, I could be wrong, my understanding is most doctors that are using this to treat COVID before somebody's on a, on a ventilator in the hospital are using it in combination with known as a Z-Pack, which is a, a type of antibiotic. Some are also including zinc and 500 milligrams a day. The standard dose that is given to patients with rheumatoid arthritis every day their whole life, while they, you know, forever, because RA is something that lasts forever, 400 to 600 milligrams a day. We have patients that have literally been on the dose that we're talking about for 20 or 30 or more years, and it is life-saving for them with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, lupus patients generally are held to less than or, or uh, 300 to 400 is what I've looked up. That is the data from the medical establishment. This is how we use this medication. So the concept that a person who had COVID would be on this medication, assuming they don't have some sort of underlying health condition that makes it dangerous for them, or they're not on some other medication they can't stop taking that is a contraindication, if it's not one of those two things. The concept that that patient is being put at undue medical risk by being put on this medication for a period of 10 to 15 days on average or less is preposterous. It's preposterous. It doesn't make it, there's no, and I've heard lots of doctors push back on this because they want the little magic stamp from the FDA that doesn't just say, you know what, docs, you can do it off-label. They want the FDA to say, go do this. It's okay now. We've said it's for this thing because some of them flatly are cowards. They're cowards. I'll say, and I don't think I'm being too soft on this. They're cowards. There's too much data now. But let's, let's give you the two ways this is being used. One is, this patient is screwed. They're intubated. They're on a, a freaking ventilator. The big thing we keep hearing about, we don't want more of. We don't know what to do other than this. So they take a, a, a mega dose of this shit, and they dump it into them by IV, because they sure as hell can't swallow a pill now, because they got a tube down their throat breathing for them, sedated, most of them laying on their stomach, by the way, because they can get more air in their lungs that way. That's one way, and that's how doctors are like, well, it's okay if we do that. You're really making me question how good medical school is anymore. 
I mean, really, when that's, that's, okay, the way other doctors who are enlightened, who have read the research, who have paid attention to what other doctors have done in at least five countries now, is, oh, gee, you have COVID. That sucks. Oh, you're having trouble breathing. You're not at the point where you need to be in a hospital yet. Let's see if we can keep you from going to the damn hospital so we can stop the hospital load that we're doing all this restrictive shit to keep from happening. Let's see if we can make that happen. So they prescribe this, some with the antibiotics, some without. Again, a doctor should make that decision, but a doctor should actually look at the information and make a real decision, not just, oh, gee, we're not going to do that because the FDA didn't stamp it with a magic stamp for us. One doctor has had hundreds of patients, hundreds of patients. He's had zero go to the hospital. He's prescribing it early. That's the other way. This is the way I think that we need to be doing more of. And we don't have evidence. Okay, first of all, I'm about to give you a buttload of evidence. A buttload of evidence so you can confidently share this with your friends and loved ones so if they end up sick, they know to say, I don't care about your misgivings here unless you can give me a medically compelling reason why I as an individual am at medical risk for taking this medication for two weeks, I want it. Right, And you should be fully informed and make sure you really mean that when you say it. But you should do the research and you should know whether or not you feel that way. And then no is not an acceptable answer. And if you need a new doctor, find a new doctor and one that will do it. And the FDA said, the FDA just said today that you can do it, so shut up and do it. Be nicer than that, please. I'm sorry I'm getting mad here. But the reason I'm getting mad here is people are suffering and people are dying and they do not have to. This, and as I've said before on my segments on this, this is not new information. The fact that chloroquine can be used to treat viruses from the coronavirus family dates back at least to 2005. That's where I can find it well documented. Okay, but what's the new, what's the new evidence? What evidence do we have right now? Well, here's what we have. There's another, remember the French study that started all this where people said, you know, hey, maybe this actually, you know, peer-reviewed and blah, 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 we should do this. And they said the sample size is too small. Well, they have a new study out. They treated 80 patients. 80 patients for five days. You want to guess how many in five days were completely clear of the COVID virus? 78. Listen, folks, this is why I'm mad. This is why I'm mad. The twisted politics in this is disgusting. If you are anybody who cares about other people, the fact that politics is being pushed into this because Trump said it probably works. Your gut should be churning sick, ready to vomit, seeing that happen right now. There is no way that you have something in a controlled study that works 78 out of 80 times that is not a success. No doctor can tell me that's not a success. And I'm telling you right now, there are dangerous medications that doctors prescribe every day because it has a magic stamp by the FDA that says, this goes with this. Okay? Way dangerous. Way more dangerous than this. Because this, there's some side effects to any, there's side effects to freaking aspirin. But in the dosage for the duration that we're talking about, it's not a major risk for anybody. And again, there are other medications that if the two go together, that's called a contraindication. There are people that have certain health situations where they can't take it. That's different. That's for a doctor to decide. But if they don't know, that, if they look at you and go, well, you don't have any of those, yeah, you could take this. If, if, you had, if your doctor says, well, if you were on lupus, I would give you this, 
or you had lupus, I would give you this. If you had RA, I would give you this. Then there's no good medical relevant reason to not give you this for COVID. It might not work. So what? So what? 78 out of 80. There are drugs that have never had a single clinical trial. Not one. Sure, they went for years. But they didn't have one that was 78 out of 80. They didn't have one that was that good. They have an effective rate of 60, 70%. You hear the drug commercials all the time. And you hear all the, like, the, all the side effects and everything. And they're like, you know, it's been significant improvement for 62% of people that took it. 62%. This is a significant improvement for like, oh, I don't know, 90-something percent. And the other two, what happens? To, we, we don't know yet. What happens to them in the next two or three days? Do you get 100% clear rate? You might. I don't know. I haven't gone that far into that study. That, that information hasn't been released, honestly. 78 out of 80. So France said, you know what, doctors, go ahead. If you think this will help your patient, go ahead. United States came out today. Here's what happened in the United States. The governors, all three of these governors, when this is over, should be impeached for doing this. The governor of Nevada, I'd say two because I haven't confirmed that, that Como did it, but I'm pretty sure he did based on what I've read. The governor of Nevada and the governor of Michigan banned doctors from prescribing this medication off-label to patients with COVID. Now, let me explain something. That meant there's like a whole bunch of other shit that might help that they could prescribe it for. But if they prescribed it for COVID, despite all of this evidence, they were threatened with losing their medical licenses. A governor of a state knows more than a doctor. That's what that's saying. Bullshit. I'm sorry. No. That's not acceptable. And I think Como did it as well. Well, I think it was this morning, the FDA came out and they didn't say, we are approving chloroquine for the treatment of COVID. They came out and said, we are approving it for the off-label treatment of COVID. In other words, any doctor anywhere right now has a green light if in their medical judgment it makes sense to prescribe this medication to any patient with COVID and there ain't nothing any governor can do about it. There's no longer an excuse. And again, if your doctor would not prescribe it in the event of a confirmed diagnosis, then I would find a new doctor who will. And when this is over, I would not go back to the one that wouldn't do it for you. You just learned an awful lot about that doctor. It, this is all my opinion. But here's what's not my opinion. Again, 78 of 80 clear in the French study in five days. The prior study, the results were about as equally compelling. Doctors in Australia said flat out, their top doctor for infectious disease said it is not a stretch to call it a cure. Not a politician, not the orange man that makes you so angry. Their top infectious disease expert in the nation slash continent of Australia said it is not a stretch to call this a cure. So let's use it. Now, I want to explain medical doctor resistance to this because, hey, they are doctors, right? They did go, and I want to be fair. They went through hell. It is hell to become a doctor. The problem is I think doctors now are more trained to obey a system than to think medically. And, and, and I had a conversation with a doctor today that makes no logical sense, his defense of his position of, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And I'm like, you know what, dude? I bet you if it was your kid or your wife or your, your, your mom with this disease, you'd do it then. Don't presume what I would do. Yeah, I know what you would do. You'd learn your ass what you're not learning right. See, I think it's just a lot of them aren't learning. Until the specific information comes from the FDA that says, this is a treatment for COVID. There's a whole shitload of MDs 
that are so conditioned they won't do it. Let me say something to the doctors that have been doing it anyway. The do especially the doctor in New York City who was doing this for almost a month before it was even being talked about, who saved hundreds of people from going to even need to go to the hospital. God bless you. Thank you. We owe you so much for your courage and for not only doing it, but for refusing to be quiet about it. You people, all of the doctors that have been willing to do this and speak up and say, this works, this works, this works. All of those doctors should be put into a joint pool and they should receive the Nobel Prize for freaking medicine for 2020 if this works as good as it looks like it's going to work. And I have no reason to believe it won't. We need a petition for that shit. Every doctor that participated in getting the word out about this needs to be in a unified freaking Nobel Prize for medicine for what this means. That's how big this is, in my opinion. Medical resistance, though, there's, there's two sides to it. One is ignorance and compliance with authority. The other one, there's only so much of this stuff available right now, you can't give it to everybody. You can't give it to everybody yet. But millions of doses are being made. Myelin is making millions of doses. Bear is making millions of doses. Uh, Tev, Tev something is making 30 million doses in 30 days. They're an Israeli company, but they're making 30 million doses in 30 days for the United States. That's literally enough to treat a million people a day for 30 days. So it's, it's coming. So there is a little bit of resistance. There's some concern that people that use it for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus may not be able to get theirs. But it is not in super short supply. And certainly anybody with advanced system, symptoms right now could get this if their doctor has a brain. right? So that's, that's, that's the other side of it. And that's the legitimate side of it. If they just come out right now and say to everybody, we know it works, it works great, everybody should take it, there's going to be a lot of people that are diagnosed that are really mildly symptomatic, that don't really need it, that are going to demand it. And I tell you what, I think in two to three weeks, those people will be getting it. And the reason this is so important, it's not just that it saves individual lives. If we can clear a person from the active case number in five days instead of 14 days, it changes everything about how long we need to lock the damn country down. It doesn't mean you can just open everything up right away, but it changes the timeline immensely. And if this comes back for phase two in the fall, which it looks like it probably could at least, we're way ahead of being ready for it. This is incredibly important. And I'm going to end this segment and then cut off the Facebook feed with this thought. I've kept, I've kept forgetting it. I've put it in text a bunch, but I haven't put it in any of the audio or video yet. This FDA shit about what does and doesn't work, just because the FDA says something doesn't mean it's true. You understand that? And if, it's, it's, if it is true, if it is true, it's true whether they say it is or it isn't true. The truth is not something that's malleable. It is or it isn't. This either works or it doesn't. And I tell you what, this is how we can figure out if it works. You got thousands of people right now that have COVID, that are not on intubators, that would like to not go on one and not at least not end up in the ICU, that are willing to understand the risks and take this medication, give it to them, and in five days you'll have an answer. You could have a result of thousands and thousands and thousands of people in five days' time. We need trials so we know. What, doctors are too stupid to keep records of their own patients? We can't compile that? Have you heard of this thing called the Internet? 
It's a really cool thing. It links millions and millions of computers together all over the United States. You can create a centralized database, and people can put their information into that database, and then one person can't allow us that data. Have you heard of that thing? It's called the Internet. You should give it a try. It's really cool, right? All these computers talking to each other. So doctors could be prescribing this, retesting their patients in five days, and saying, here's my results. And as far as what happens when you don't treat people, we have all the information we need about that. We've been not treating people for a long time. We have that data. There's your control. There's your experimental group. Let's go. There'll be people that you don't give it to right now, even if you open this up wide. There's your, there's your control. There's your experimental. This is not hard. But the truth is the truth, no matter who says what or says doesn't say what. That's our quote of the day today by Buddha. Three things cannot be hidden for long. The sun, the moon, and the truth. The truth about this will be known. Even though Buddha was right. You cannot hide the truth for long. You can hide the truth for a time. We do not have the time to be hiding the truth here. So here's my final thought on this. We're waiting for an FDA stamp. It just doesn't say you can't. Because doctors, now the FDA says you can. You can do it. They gave you approval this morning. No governor can stop you. It's between you, your patients, and your ability to ascertain the medical knowledge that's been made available by multiple countries from multiple studies. Stop saying there's no proof because there's plenty of proof. Stop saying it. Because I can just throw proof at you till you, you can't explain it away anymore. The truth cannot be hidden for long, but it can be hidden for a time. Every second we hide the truth here. More people end up on ventilators. More people die. And then the group of people we're not talking about. More people who didn't have to, even when they recover, spend the rest of their life with severe damage to their lungs. It doesn't have to happen. So on the FDA, here's my final thought on them. Do not trust the people who called comfrey a liver toxin with two tiny flawed studies to tell you there's not enough evidence right now that chloroquine works with a hell of a lot more evidence behind it than the evidence that was behind outlawing the internal use of comfrey decades ago. Two studies that shoved the equivalent of 60,000 leaves of comfrey into juvenile rodents in what would be the equivalent of a 90-day or less period. These alkaloids called PAs destroyed in some of the animals their livers. No one consume 60,000 leaves of comfrey. Comfrey was, has been used safely internally and externally by people for 10,000 years. And this same body that you put so much faith in due to a war on alternative medications called it a toxin from two tiny flawed studies with a much smaller sample size than what we have for the effectiveness of chloroquine right now. Doctors should be able to prescribe any medication that's approved for any use, for any other use they think might help their patients. That decision should come between doctors and patients. But right now, patients need to be informed. Please make sure that your loved ones are informed about this. Please make sure as many people as possible are informed about this. Please use the links that I provided here today with this podcast episode to share that information. It's not my information. It's the information of doctors and scientists. And if anybody out there can get a hold of this doctor from New York, I would love to interview him. 
I would love to get him on, and instead of just the way they do it on TV where they have a phone, I would love to let this man say anything and everything and ask him anything that I can come up with and give him any objection that any other doctor has and let him respond to it. So instead of some redneck hippie duck farmer with a podcast telling you this, it's a medical doctor that treated real patients with real medication that really recovered. And I'd like other doctors to hear from him. So if anybody can get a hold of him, please, please do. And with that, let's go on to some better subjects today in the podcast. So even though um, I said we're going to go on to other things, I want to actually hit the other COVID segment real, real fast so we can literally go on to other things and stay there. This is a report from Ground Zero in New York. And I, I want to do this because as much as I'm saying to calm down about this and to um, to not get into a state of fear, there's also people out there saying there is no problem, it's all fake, whatever. no. I want to read to you what's happening in New York City. This is from somebody that is at ground zero working in the medical system. So New York hospitals and EMS systems are in the worst crisis ever. The EMS system is currently doing over 7,000 calls a day. The hospitals around New York City are currently in much better shape, but we are starting to see an increase. Our actual census is below normal, but we had to double our ICU capacity. We're planning to double again. We are now seeing patients coming into the emergency room with moderate symptoms and deteriorating very fast, resulting in intubation. Patients are staying on ventilators for much longer than anticipated. We're placing about 15 to 18 patients a day on vents. We're testing over 500 patients a day. Thus far, about 30% are coming back positive. But to be fair, in order to be tested, you have to screen and answer a series of questions to determine eligibility to be tested. So this number is not applicable to the general public. Supplies. Disposable supplies are very short. As you know, all healthcare institutions are extending the use Even reusing PPE was up to a few weeks, already considered single-use and disposable. Vents, a very large, prestigious New York hospital, gave a webinar last week on their experience and their recommendation on how to safely place multiple patients on a single vent. It seems to work within some specific parameters, specifically utilizing pressure settings instead of volume settings, which is typical, and lowering alarm thresholds. The feds and the state keep promising to deliver additional vents, but no one has seen them yet. Oh, by the way, just before I go, your governor, Andrew Como got caught with a couple thousand of them in storage. That's true. Verified true. Just saying. Anyway, it's disgusting. Mass transit ridership is down about 90%. The highways are nearly empty. The grocery stores are doing okay. You can't get everything, but no one is going to go hungry. Personal perspective. My family members who did not quite get prepping uh, have all seen the light and are very appreciative that they are watching this disaster go by and we are not participating. We were and continue to be quite comfortable in our little homestead with our supplies, livestock, garden, orchard, etc. The only thing I can't do is work from home yet, Jack. Thanks. That's Garrett. Okay, that's an actual, you know, written thing. I want to contrast this with, with what I'm getting out of Seattle. I have a friend in Seattle. I won't give his name because he doesn't want to be identified on air, but he is doing a lot of work delivering things to hospitals in the Seattle area and to uh, things like the testing point, you know, drive-through testing and all. Now, I just saw drive-through testing going on in New Jersey. Um, it was at a stadium or something like that, and there was cars as far as you could see, and then there were in a single line, and they broke into two lines and four lines. And it looked like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people going through the testing. Seattle, which is you know, the original ground zero, what he's told me is he's gone to the testing points, and he sees a guy in a hazmat suit looking bored. It's his exact words. That when the media films the testing sites in Washington, there'll be like one or two cars there, and they do a tight focus to not show that there's no waiting times. 
Now, I've heard from other people in Seattle who says they can't get tested, or not Seattle, in Washington State, to say they can't get tested or what have you. The numbers coming out of Seattle are pretty mild right now compared to any place else that was considered an epicenter. My understanding from other people in the area, the hospital load is still very heavy in Seattle. Lots of people in ICU, lots of people on ventilators. But numbers are not climbing. And I want you to understand something about the backside of the curve here. Backside of the curve doesn't mean we're done. Doesn't mean we're through. Doesn't mean there's not a problem. If you think about all the problem leading up in the curve up, you ride all of that. And with a flat curve, you ride it for longer down. When you get to the point where there's almost no new cases and very few, if any, that require hospitalization, the load on the hospital is going to stay high for 30 to 40 days after you've actually beaten it. And backside of the curve doesn't mean you've beaten it. Because people like the last email are staying on the ventilators for a lot longer than would be expected. And that's something that we really need to understand here. But the encouraging thing is, It looks like a timeline of around 40 to 50 days is where you have that break point. I guarantee you China lied about their total numbers. But they didn't lie about the backside of the curve. It seems like everywhere this thing is raged from the point of full-on rage to where it starts to, to, to level and then drop, it's about 40 days' time. This leads me back to believe that there's probably a much larger denominator, meaning total number of cases, than we've been you know, led to believe based on confirmed cases. Because how do you diagnose a case that has no symptoms? How do you diagnose a case of a person that's infected but shows no symptoms at all? Never shows any symptoms. Or shows such mild symptoms they don't seek help, or even if they did, no one would care. They won't test them. We don't know. But I just think it's pretty... Interesting, contrasting New York City and Seattle right now. So New York will probably peak in two to two and a half weeks. And then it will still suck. You have to understand, peak doesn't mean over. We're a microwave generation. We have to stop thinking that way. But it gives you a clear side of the end. Now, if they'll get the chloroquine into this equation, we can shorten everything. Doesn't mean it all goes away. Doesn't mean it becomes instantly, you know, just like the flu or whatever, but it does change the calculus. I heard from one person who I used to respect. Used to respect. Chloroquine can't save us. 30 million doses in 30 million days is not enough. I felt like telling that person, you know what, you're right. Just jump out a window right now. Just make sure no one useful is below you. There's no sense in hanging on. It can't, you just jump out a window. Um, Yeah, it's a game changer. That's why I'm putting so much effort into it. Please share it with your friends. Oh, one more thing I left out of the segments on that. There's another new individual patient out that says, I went on this and it changed my life. That link's in the show notes as well. How about some fun stuff? Um, just some random fun stuff. So, uh, like many of you, when you stay home, eventually you know you get enough work done and you just need to tune out from all of this. And, you know, it's actually it's a good use for TV, I think, to watch things that are just kind of preposterous to a degree on their face, but entertaining that have nothing to do with any of your problems. And there's a show that's fairly old now, quite a few seasons of it already out, so you can binge it on Netflix, called The Ranch. Uh, it's got some great actors in it. Uh, Deborah Winger is, is kind of the mom character in it. She was really famous back in the 80s. She was sissy in Urban Cowboy, and she was also in Officer and Gentleman. Um, she's pretty good in this. 
She plays her part well. Uh, Sam Elliott plays her husband, kind of an estranged husband thing. And the two sons are played by Ashton Kutcher, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but he played Hyde on 70s show opposite Ashton Kutcher there. It's a good cast, and it is a funny-ass show. The first episode, like the first ten minutes, is kind of stiff, you know, as the chemistry is being developed and you don't know the characters. But, man, by the end of the first episode, it's funny. It is adult content, and it's a dysfunctional family. But if you want something to watch right now that's kind of going to make you laugh and not think about all this crap for a little while, because you thinking about it doesn't change it, give it a try. Called The Ranch. Next up, Cole Reisner. Cole Reisner, I've talked about him on the air. I've played some of his music in the past. He's just a really cool dude. I found him when somebody suggested, hey, for your workshops, why don't you do live music? And I wanted somebody really good, but I also wanted somebody that wasn't, you know, out of my ballpark for pricing. So, you know, 500 bucks for a concert, that's fine. Uh, somebody suggested Cole. I checked him out, really liked him. And he's been out here and played at least three, maybe four concerts for us. And it's become kind of a thing we do at workshops. So we have a Cole Reisner concert, usually Friday night. Or usually Thursday night, I think, is when we do it. And depending on whether it'll be outside or it'll be in the garage. And... um Saturday, we were getting ready to watch The Ranch, and my wife goes, it's Cole. We put him on the TV, and we sat there, and we talked to a lot of people in the TSP audience. I invited as many people as I could that I could find in my friends list and what have you. Um, but it was cool because it was kind of almost like being back at one of the workshops. So if you've been to one, it really feels that way. If not, maybe you get a little sense of kind of the camaraderie that goes on there. So I'm going to reach out to Cole this week and see if maybe he's interested in doing this again. And if I know when, I'll kind of put it out in advance. And you might want to follow him on Facebook. Again, his name is Cole Reisner, uh, C-O-L-E, Reisner, R-I-S-N-E-R. Just some fun stuff. Next up, John John uh, from Moore Park, who does a lot of really cool stuff for me. And I don't want John to take this wrong because I, I don't mean anything against John and what I'm about to say. He sent me an email with a really long report on the stimulus, a $2.5 trillion stimulus bill uh, for COVID relief. I said, break it down, Barney style. I'm not going to do it right now. First of all, part of it is when I do something like that, when I tear into a piece of legislation and I explain everything that's in it, and the good, the bad, the ugly, etc., it is actually pretty intellectually draining to really dig in because so many claims have to be verified. You know, a thousand-page bill, and you have to you – know, I can't sit and read a thousand-page bill. That's why they write thousand-page bills, but – um, when somebody says something, then I got to go in the bill and find any mention of that and see if it's 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 draining. Here's why I'm not going to do it right now. It doesn't matter. It, it, honestly, I don't care. I don't care about the performing arts center that Nancy Pelosi got money for. I don't care. It, it's a rounding error in the total, and this is how I feel about it. I'm sure they pissed away a lot of her money. I'm positive they did. Do you know what days they piss away a lot of our money in Congress? Days that end in Y. It's not new. It's not. It's so huge. Yeah. They would have spent it sooner or later. It's going to cause rapid hyperinflation. You're not going to get hyperinflation while the economy shut down. Those two things don't go together. So much money has been lost. When you throw dirt in a hole, you do not get a pile. You fill a hole. I'm not saying you can always do this. I'm not saying you can do this forever. I'm saying the short-term consequences of this will be, for most people, positive. Better than if they had not done it. And any money that you're going to get and anything that you can take advantage from this, do it. It's all for big business. No, it's not. 
There's tons of shit in there for small businesses. One of my best friends who runs a small business, which who's scraping by right now, when he looked at it all, he said, shit, I could come out of this ahead. If you can come out of it ahead, do it. It's all for the cronies. Hey, take a lesson from the cronies. Learn to play the game. I've been teaching you that forever. No, this is not Jack Spirko saying, I believe in big government now. This is, as far as in principle, this is Jack Spirko, the realist, saying big government exists. They've done what they're going to do. You can wail and whine and gnash your teeth and make a big dog and pony show out of it and say how much you hate it, and you know what it'll do? Nothing. Nothing. Zero will happen because you're upset about it. And if, and if I, who many of y'all listen to and appreciate, and you think, well, you have a voice that's much bigger than mine, if I get up and scream and yell and rant and rave about how bad this thing is, it will also change absolutely nothing. It's done. It happened. And it's going to save a lot of people's asses. Again, there'll be long-term consequences. There's all kinds of ugly long-term consequences outside of that stimulus bill as well from this. But we are where we are, and we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And if you're going to be real, if you go on unemployment because you lost your job, and you're going to get an extra $600 a week while you're on unemployment, and you can pay all your bills, of course take the money. If they're going to send you a check, which, by the way, they're not really sending checks. They're doing direct deposits. It's based on your income tax last year. And if they're going to send you money, take it. I looked at it. At first, I thought, based on income, I wasn't going to get anything. And then I thought about, well, adjusted gross income is actually what income is. That means after all the, you know, when I talk about getting out of paying it, 90% of the tax code is how you avoid paying what 10% has to you. So by the time I do my 90%, And then you look at married filing jointly, it looks like we'll get some money. You know what? I'll take it. I ain't going to apologize for it. I've paid those bastards minimum in income tax a half a million dollars in my lifetime. I haven't, I, I've never done the math because I don't want to know. It'll make me sick. If I get my own money back up until the point that I'm at zero, as an anarchist, that's only fair. I get back what you took from me. So if you don't want your dirty government money, get in touch with me. I'll give you an invoice for consulting, and you can deduct it from your next year's taxes, and I will take your, your dirty money for you. If you're in a small business, you need to look into these interest lo the loans you can get. And the private sector is step, stepping up, too. Another one of my really good friends contacted his bank, and they will defer right now his mortgage without even any proof of hardship for one year with no interest and no penalties meaning he still has to pay his property taxes and his insurance. But he's basically not going to pay principal and interest for a year, and it will not affect the total amount due on his mortgage at all. That's not even a government program. If you can do that, do that. Jack, you're supposed to be against debt. You know what? If you come out of this ahead and you want to go retroactively pay it, go ahead. You want to start making double payments next year when it comes around again? Go ahead. But right now, if you can stockpile three, four, five thousand extra dollars in the next 12 months during all this shit, so that as it cleans up, you have more money to get your ass more ready for the next time this comes around, you do it. I don't care what garbage is in that bill because there's garbage in every bill. I don't have time. See, I don't have time. It's not that I don't care. Of course I care. I don't have time to care right now. You know what I care about? The video I put out today that's not available yet, I'll, I'll make it live as soon as this episode is recorded, where I went through my property, and here's what I'm going to plant, here's where I'm going to plant it, here's what I'm going to do to my greenhouse, and here's where I'm building my hydroponics system, 
and here's where I'm putting this other pond in, and here's where I'm doing it. I care about, I have, I have so much that needs to be done in my life that I control, and I'm in the middle of a crisis trying to help people. I don't have time to care about something that is 100% not only outside of my circle of control, it's outside of my circle of influence. The only thing I care about is how, and I'm going to learn more about it, how you can use it to make your life better. That's all I care about. That's just sucking at the tit of big government. You know what? The tit shall be sucked at anyway. The system is designed for those who figure out how to use it to their advantage to prosper. That's what the system is designed to do. That's what I've been teaching you for 12 years. This isn't new. Of course I hate it. Of course I think it's wrong. I think a lot of things are wrong. But I don't go out and willfully defy them and ruin my life, do I? I strate See, it's not about compliance. It's about strategic compliance. Something I've been trying to teach you guys a long time ago. You live somewhere that won't let you have a chicken. Figure out how to do it anyway. Move somewhere that will. You can scream and yell, but if you live in yuppie land and you're never going to get enough people to change their mind about it, then you have to be strategic about how you defy things or how you use things. Or how you, so I don't, I don't care. You know, the Performing Arts Center, some group of clowns got, you know, new noses. So what? So what? They pissed away trillions of dollars and you're worried about a million bucks. I know a million dollars is real money to me and you, but it isn't It isn't in the grand scheme of things. It isn't. We're going to have plenty of time to try to change things when this is over. This is where you get through it. This is. I want you to think about this the same way I've advised parents that are dealing with kids that are being bullied in school. I'm all for fighting and changing the culture that allows bullies to do what they do in school. And we should do that too. But if you're a parent with a child being bullied... You focus on getting your child through the system in the best way possible, and you focus on the child being bullied and protecting them, giving them the tools that they need to get through this so that when they come out the other side, they, they realize that that whole world that they were in doesn't even matter. And, of course, the world we're in right now with a pandemic matters, but when it's over, it won't. Whatever's going to happen will happen. It will go away. It won't be here forever. There's people are, we're going to be locked down for 18 months. Shut up. You're in denial of reality. And I don't know why. But it will end. If it was 18 months, it will still end. And then whatever happened, whoever was hurt, whoever died, it's not that I don't care. It's it happened. People get hurt and people die every day. All you can focus on is what you do next. And that's where our heads need to be with this. That's that's where we're that's what we're talking about today. So I don't care about the damn stimulus bill. So what? They wasted money. So what? So what? Did they, do you think they would have cared if we all called? If every single member of my audience called up and said, "Don't do this this way," they would all told us they would do whatever they want to do anyway. This deal wasn't even made by the Congress and the Senate. It was made by a couple congressmen, a couple senators, and Trump's guy, right? Secret. What's his name? Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin. They made the deal. They made the deal and they told Congress, you're voting on this. And, of course, they had to vote yes or, you know, they're screwed. That's what happened. You know, Thomas Massey can grandstand all he wants and, and ask for a, 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 a people to show up to vote. It was just grandstanding. It's not even that I disagree with him. It's still just grandstanding. If you know you're not going to change anything and you're doing it to be seen, you're grandstanding. 
It didn't matter. It didn't affect anything. What matters in your life is what you do and how you deal with the situation that you're in. You know, look, look at it compared to anything else. Let's say your house burned down from a fire. Hopefully you had fire insurance. In the end, no matter what you did or didn't have, once the fire's out, you have to deal with the fact that the fire happened. That's how the stimulus bill is. That's how this pandemic is. That's how everything in life is. You deal with the situation you're in, and you prepare as best you can for one thing to go wrong. Let's take something else. Here's an example of somebody doing that. Hi, Jack. This is Rich. I've been listening to you since the early Jetted days, and I'm an early life member of the MSB, which is the best decision I ever made. I started a hydroponic system 33 days ago, similar to your system, and had my first fresh lettuce from a salad from the system today at lunch. I have about $200 in my system with four trays tubs, one for seed starting, one for immediate, intermediate growth, and two to finish the plants. I'm doubling the size of my system in the next week or two. It's not hard and it's not too late to get started with hydroponics. Certainly nicer to go to the basement and get some lettuce instead of wondering if I need to go to the store. One suggestion for people, this is a good time to be checking to see how well you've been prepared. Since this started, we have still been able to acquire items either in stores or online. It would be good to keep a list of these items you have neglected so when things get back to normal, you can restock and take care of adding things you might have forgotten. For example, I didn't have oil filters on hand for all my vehicles, and I didn't have everything I needed for hydroponics when I first started. Fortunately, I could obtain all these items since the start. I guess I've been a prepper too long. Before it was a common term. I'm 68 years old and retired and grew up on a farm where we put enough food away for the winter and minimal store, uh, with minimal store, uh, bought food needed. I've kept that up over the years and it's wonderful to have that level of preparation going on. One side comment. I'm a retired university professor who used to teach courses on emerging technology starting with the first pet Commodore and Apple II computers. Man, that's what I started with. Uh, once I found the Survival Podcast and Five Minutes with Jack Podcast, I shared that in all my classes on technology as a good example of what people can do. Great podcast, really enjoy it. Don't always agree with everything you say, but even then you make me think. Uh, thanks, Rich. Well, Rich, thank you. A um, couple things there. I'm glad you don't agree with everything I say. That means you think for yourself. People who agree with everything I say scare me. Seriously. Serious to God, it scares me when people say they agree with everything I say. Um, next, I, I'm not, I, I know talking about people's age sometimes is considered kind of a touchy thing. But I think that when somebody says how old they are, then you know it's kind of okay. So Rich said he's 68 years old. Now, 68 isn't super old or anything, but it's over 60. Over 60 is kind of where you, a lot of people really hit the I don't have time to learn anything new attitude. It really is like, I'm setting my ways. So he didn't know anything about hydroponics 33 days ago. Dirt farmed his whole life, one way or another. Garden, dirt, farm dirt, whatever. Goes and looks at a couple of videos. I can do that shit. 33 days later, he's eating his own food out of his basement. If he can do it, you can do it. If a person at 68 years of age can take the time to learn something new, like hydroponics, so can you. Next up, Zal uh, says, I have small pieces of fallen branches, weeds, and leaves around my yard. Thinking of piling them up in a single heap, but I'm not trying to make them in anything useful. Any suggestions? Well, mostly, dude, you can just pile them up in a pile and leave them there. You come back long enough, and they'll be broken down to really great woody compost. I love woody compost. It's forest soil. Now, let's talk about how we can speed that up a little bit. One, the branches and stuff that are kind of big and bulky, 
The problem with those is you get air under them instead of soil or other material contact and moisture, and they stay dry, and it takes them a lot longer to break down. So if you pile up a big brush pile, and if you cut that brush up, a same amount of brush into a smaller pile and kind of compact it, and just leave them sit somewhere for, oh, I don't know, a year. You go back to the brush pile, a lot of that might be dead and easily broken and starting to break down, but it's still there. Where almost everything that had contact with the soil or contact with other material will kind of be soil. So what you want to do is your bigger pieces, you want to cut them up, break them down, put them in a pile. And if you really want to accelerate things, tarp it, put a tarp over it, keep it wet. And then if you really want to make something cool, go into the woods Find rotted wood, find wood with fungi on it, find soil that has white um, mycorrhizal fungi where you see like a fungal net. If you have a place in your garden where you're seeing fungi growing in your garden, take some of that that has that fungal net. Like if your mulch has some fungi in it, take that and add it and keep adding little bits of it from wherever you can get it around, especially you know where it's around you and near your area. You can even get some like mushroom spawn and stuff and throw it in there, but you don't really need to. Do what's called indigenous microorganism cultivation, but the lazy man's way. And this is a great thing to do. Anytime you take a walk in the woods or something, if you find like a rotted piece of wood or whatever, it's got tons of bacteria and fungi colonizing it. Bring it home and break it up into crumbles and spread it all over your, your pile and keep it wet. Keep it in the shade. And, you know, kind of run a pile like that for six, eight, ten months and, and then start making a new pile. Let that pile that you've, you've built up for six, eight, ten months run for about a year and start taking from it and using it as compost. And just keep repeating that. That's the best thing to do with all that yard waste. It's a lazy man's way of fungal composting. And it's how nature does it. Um, Jerry says, a recent episode you talked about opportunities coming out of the pandemic. Something uh, both to benefit others and make a little money as well. Maybe you could take part in a future show and talk about a business for renting garden plots. I don't think you would make a lot of money, but almost all of it could be written off on things you're going to do anyway. I have 10 acres in suburbia with a couple thousand houses on standard quarter-ish yard lots, only a few miles from apartments. I've always admired allotment gardens in Europe and have been kicking around the idea of taking an acre and offering it to people who want to garden. This would have to be more than just renting the ground by the square foot, as most people in my area have some dirt. Additional benefits would have to be offered. I was thinking offer raised beds or just a plot, a big pile of mulch brought in from a tree trimming service, water available, uh, shared larger garden tools, wheelbarrow, broad fork, etc., shared common compost pile, uh, shared wash station, some seeds included, a number of starts, uh, tomatoes and broccoli could be provided, an experienced gardener on site, for help and advice, a farm stand to sell excess production, um, small fruit trees planted around the perimeter to get a share of the fruit, social area with chairs, think garden club or something like that. I think it's a good idea. You need to flush it out more, and maybe I will as well. Here's some thoughts on that. One, the whole, like, we're going to take all of our produce and sell it, maybe. Like, all of our excess we'll just make available, maybe. Don't even, don't even start there. One of the things entrepreneurs have a, a, a tendency to do is to oversell. And if you're selling like an online ebook and you want to come up with every single thing that's in that ebook in your long copy, I, I get it because it's actually done already. That's a lot of moving parts. See, to me, I think like what would sell this to me would be I love the garden club thing, the social thing. So you just set it up so that it happens organically. 
right? Have certain times that, like, maybe you have people come present on things and stuff like that and share information. That just gets people. You get people that want to garden together in one place. That is organic. It happens. It grows. But I would say the hell with just water. You want irrigation. So you need to basically say, we're, we're renting beds that are 10 foot by 4 foot. Because that's a big enough bed to actually matter. I think a, four, a single 4 by 8 is iffy, and a 4 by 4 is too small. So single beds are 4 foot by 10 foot. They cost this much. They come with, they're filled with good soil. They come with, you know, a quarter yard of compost sitting right next to them for you to use as you need. Um, and irrigation put in on a timer. Now it's exciting. Now, because now I don't have to show up every day to water my damn garden. And that just happens for me. And I don't have to do any of that. So the, the way I see it, you would have a buy-in and a monthly fee with, like, let's say, a one-season contract. The buy-in should cover the cost of construction of the garden. If the guy buys in, does one season, and goes away, you still have a garden somebody else paid for. You could even add some other services, like, for X dollars, we will cover crop your garden in the off-season for you. We'll let it grow to you know, X size, and we'll tarp it. And when you come in the spring, you'll have a, had a killed cover crop and be ready to go with weed suppression. See, like, make the unfun work part the part you do. So all the person has to do is come, plant, harvest, and hang out. And then let that organically become. I think one of the big things we, we make a mistake with as entrepreneurs is we decide what our customers want. And if you're big enough, you can get away with it. Apple's a perfect example of ignoring a lot of customer wants, telling customers what they're getting, and still doing relatively well. You are not Apple computer. You're not. You're not making iPhones. You're making garden plots. So I love the shared shed. You have to have some way to manage that. See, it almost requires that you have somebody on site to sign tools in and out or something like that. Um, I like the, 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 the we called it a chit. In the, uh, in the army that we use for the tool room, you know, you get four or five chits. They're little tags with a number on it. So when you come, I need a flat shovel. Okay, give me your chit. Number 21, shovel comes off the wall, chit goes in place of the, you don't, and when you, you, you know, you have two, three pieces of it, however many you decide a person can have out at once, two, three, four, one, whatever it is, come back, I need a, a, a trowel. Give me a chit. Well, I don't have one. What's your number? 23. Oh, you owe me a flat shovel and a hose. Go get me the flat shovel and a hose. I'll give you your chits back and you can have a trowel. I mean, that's when it comes to equipment, some level of management. So maybe you have a certain time when that equipment is available. Um, maybe you have a customer or two that you give half off their garden in return for two hours of work as equipment management or something like that. Something has to be done to control that, or it will very quickly get out of hand. Very quickly get out of hand. And um, once you get that skinned, I don't see why this can't become a good thing. And maybe it does become where there's enough production to have some sort of sale and stuff like that. But you're getting into like a co-op model and... Uh, I would just let it be in a lot. I would try to model it on the allotment system in Europe. People pay for space and a service, and the more they do, the more people you have, the more you can create common area. 
you know, and so maybe tools are available only, you know, during these hours, during these days. And that's just the way that it is. People can, you know, people can come up with a shovel. Another thing you could do to mitigate this, though, is you could put in some sort of a locker system. So you don't have to be like, this is not something, you know, shovels and rakes and hose and all, they're not highly valuable things. Right, the, the kind of things people, that will walk away if they're just left out. But you can put in some sort of reasonably secure area where people can have their own lock. And people can rent a locker to keep their tools in. So that they don't have to carry their tools back and forth. Because that's going to be the big objection. And then think about, like, you know, there's only a few tools that really need to be shared. The number one tools you're going to use in a, in a raised bed that's already prepared is a trowel and maybe a cutting sickle and stuff like that. So... You might even be able to come up with a recommended set of hand tools that are easy to carry. You know, something like the five-gallon bucket caddy type carry recommended tools so that people don't need that, but they can have it. But, yeah, you're right. Some of the other stuff, like you said, a broad fork or whatever. If you're doing this right, you probably don't need a broad fork. But I, I really think I would hire somebody to do the grunt work. I mean, it might even be a good case for a tiller. Now, I don't like tillers in general, but initial bed prep and then tarping. And, and basically... You know, I would tarp everything every season, every off season. I would just charge people for it. And if you come back and you didn't keep your plot through and pay for the off season maintenance, you have to pay for a brand new plot, even if I already have one ready, because you didn't pay for the maintenance. And I would try to simplify it as much as possible to just, hey, this is a place you can come garden and hang out with other cool gardeners. Because I'll tell you what. If something like this was available, especially walking or biking distance from my house, with all the shit that I have, I still might go buy a plot just to be part of it. Think about that. I mean, really think about that. The fact that I w that me, I would do that tells you I think that there's there's something there to it. Uh, next up, Marty, who has some really cool emails to me from time to time, said, I want to thank you for being an anchor during this corona mess. Crazy as it may seem, your duck farmer voice is a nice constant. My question is this, though. Is a reverse osmosis whole house filter better than a Berkey? Details. I don't really want a Berkey on my kitchen counter, or should I say my wife doesn't want it there. We have an under-the-counter filter system for one water faucet and our refrigerator inline filter, but I'm looking to upgrade. The one major downfall is that my city water is shut off for some reason. I have no filtered water where I can dump uh, stream water into my Berkey should the need arise. Thoughts, Marty. Okay, so here's my solution. Do your whole house filter. Go buy a set of black Berkey filters and build yourself a cheap, efficient, five-gallon bucket-based Berkey filtration system. If you buy four filters or two filters, whatever, drill that many holes in one bucket. You set it so it stacks inside the other bucket and will filter water. It will never go bad. The one bucket can nest inside the other bucket. Put a lid on it. Mark what it is. Know where it is and put it away. And if you ever need portable water filtration, instead of using a life straw or something small, you can actually filter a lot of water fast. But I don't see buying the really expensive stainless steel body for the Berkey system as an emergency backup. But I do think their filters are among the best. As for RO versus a Berkey, um, in my understanding, reverse osmosis actually creates a lot of wastewater. 
So you're going to pay for more water. That's the downside. Otherwise, it's very convenient. It works very well, and I feel completely safe drinking the water out of an RO system. So it's more of a preference uh, to me. It's just more of a preference. So I, I really recommend you do what makes sense for you. But I would, if you, because see, what it seems like your concern is, is, well, what do I do if the city water is shut off? Okay. Store water. You know that. But then create a backup for yourself. Just create up a backup filtration system and, and, and go on with life and make your wife happy and you happy and everybody happy. Uh, next up, Mary Ann says, uh, my quail aren't laying eggs at all. None. Details. I live in Tampa, Florida. I have been raising quail for almost a year now. My husband and I provided them with a small coop and run that is actually designed for four chickens, but we have around 36 quail at any given time in there. We feed the birds pure any game bird, as well as slightly wilted greens that I rescued from my job at the health food store. They're deemed too ugly to sell to customers, but the birds love them. The meat is delicious, and I've been running a side business between me, customers, and a fence post. Butchering the birds is quick and easy and ultimately delicious, but the birds aren't laying any eggs. What am I doing wrong? I have photos of the birds set up on my blog. Thank you for you and Brad for inspiring me to raise quail. I love it, but would love to get some eggs. Marianne. Marianne. I picked up on one thing there, almost Dr. House-like and picking up on it, and I don't know if it's your answer. The coop and run is designed for four chickens. Do you have chickens? Are you cohabitating chickens with quails? Because let me tell you my story. I put a bunch of quails in my 50-foot aviary. And I put four little bantams, sweet little girl chickens in there. I, one of them died on me eventually, but I still have three of them. They're like little kittens. I can pet them up. I can pet them. I can set them on my shoulder and walk around with them. And they're very, very broody. And I took some duck eggs and I stuck them under those chickens. And they made me baby ducks. Chickens brooding ducks. Chuck, chuck, chuck duckins, right? I thought, I know. I'll put them in the, the aviary with the quails. And when the quails lay eggs, I'll put the quail eggs under the little chickens and they'll raise my quail for me. And I won't have to worry about raising quail. The plan was perfect, except quail eggs, as you know, are speckled. So when I put duck eggs under the chickens, they were a single color and they were large and the chickens went, that's an egg. And they didn't do anything. When they laid their own eggs, even though they were sterile eggs because they don't have a rooster, they tried to incubate their own eggs and they didn't eat them. All the quail eggs disappeared. If you're keeping any chickens with those quail, there is a 99% chance the reason you're not seeing any eggs is they're eating them. And you might think, Jack, would they eat all of them that fast that I wouldn't see them at all? Indeed they would. Because I thought my quail all of a sudden stopped laying eggs, and I thought I needed some new blood, so I called my friend David and said, would you bring me some eggs? And he said, yes, I will. And he brought me eight quail eggs, and there was a chicken in the laying box sitting on an egg. She didn't want to move. She was upset about even being touched. So we pushed her butt to the side, and we shoved those eight little eggs underneath her, and she settled back in. We took a walk around my property, which isn't that big. We came back. She was gone. Her egg was there. There wasn't a piece of a shell left. So my first suspect is your chickens, if you have chickens. You didn't say you do, so I don't know. But I have found cohabitation of chickens and quail can work, but often does not because the chickens eat the eggs. All right, next. There are three things to look at with quail. Light duration, food, and water. Purina game bird. It's not the high quality stuff I feed, but there's nothing wrong with it. 
It's a conventional feed. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no reason your birds should not lay, and if they're on game bird, they're getting enough protein. The greens you're giving them is great. That should actually spur more laying, not less. I don't think it's a food problem. Water. If they don't have water all the time, it can kick them out of laying. They need good, clean water all the time. My guess is, based on what you're doing, that is not a problem. That leaves us with the most likely suspect, light. You want, for optimum laying, at least 14 hours of light. And I'm thinking, if it's not chickens eating your eggs, the number one thing you can do is just get some simple lights, get some of the Century Mechanical Timers that I recommend at tspaz.com. If you just go to the survivalpodcast.com and type in Century, you'll find them. Put your lights on so that they come on about an hour before dark. Run them for a couple hours and then set the timer on the other side so the lights come on a couple hours before daybreak. And just leave them on. And if you can extend the light, figure out how much light you're getting right now. Extend that light to 14 hours. And you can go 16 if you want, but 14 hours. And I bet you, you start getting Lots and lots and lots of eggs. Lots and lots of eggs. Good water, good food, good light. They should lay eggs. The only other possibility, very, very unlikely. You sure you don't have all roosters? Make sure you check with your speckled quail, your Japanese quail. You check the breasts and red versus speckled to make sure you have enough females. You know. But my, my inkling suspicion is you got chickens in there stealing and eating them eggs and i know you can have chickens you swear to god they're not egg eaters and they're not it's something about the speckles on the damn quail eggs i think what happens is chickens investigate with their beak that's their thing like if they're not sure they're like a shark you know they don't have they don't have fingers their their, their claws are good for scratching but they're not really good for investigating right they're like t-rex their wings are like those little arms they don't do any good and the feet are just you know If you think about how tough a chicken's feet really are, there has to be very little sensitivity to their feet to, to where they can determine anything. So it looks down, it sees something it's not familiar with, and we've all seen chickens do it. Even something they, defend, they eventually decide it's not worth their time. They, they look at it, they cock their head, turn that eye so they can see that one eye at it real well, and they kind of move that head around and peck. Well, imagine you're a chicken... And you see this little round thing, it really doesn't look like an egg is supposed to look according to you and your chicken pea brain, right? And you're like, oh, what's the speck on there? What? And you're not, you're not just looking, see that chicken's not just looking at the egg. It's looking at the marking on the egg. They have actually very good vision. Well, what is that? I don't know. Quail eggs are really, really easy to break, as you know. So that beak comes down, peck. Oh, it broke. What's that? That tastes good. And then it's on. So what happens if you have multiple chickens? Even if the other birds are not predisposed to do this, if one does it one time, they come over. You've seen it too. When a chicken starts eating something, the other chicken doesn't know what it is. They come over like, hey, what do you got there? What is that? And they turn, they do the head turn, and then peck. Oh, that's good. And then it's on. And it becomes that these things are food now. And the way I fixed my problem, I took the chickens out of the aviary. I gave them a new place. I let them go free range with the ducks. And, you know, you have to decide what you're going to do. So let's say it's not easy to do that. You might want to cage a few of your females up off the ground for a couple days. Because my experience with quail is 
if they if they're given what they need, they don't really have the ability to not lay an egg. So if you put them in a cage or you sequester them somewhere the chickens can't get to and you start getting eggs, you have your answer. But otherwise, check your light. Your light is going to be your thing. Uh, last one comes to me from Kyle. Kyle says, have you ever tried out the air rifle made by Air Force Texan? And there's a video of this. I've seen this air rifle before, but not this current version of it. It's a 45 caliber big bore air rifle, and it is powerful. Um, the video that I'm going to link to in the notes today, a guy shoots straight through a 2x6. He puts something up that's sort of kind of like ballistic gelatin, 11 inches of it, it goes through that. Let me explain something. You're talking about a slow velocity relative to a firearm, but big and heavy and what we consider a slow muzzle velocity equals penetration. This is, this is the 4570 in the, in, in the complete decimation of the, the, the bison herd in America. Now, yes, the 4570 has more muzzle velocity than this thing, but it's the same principle. Big, heavy slug moving at a relatively slow velocity, but fast enough to go through shit. This is the difference in it now. It has an integrated suppressor. Now, I know what you're thinking, Jack. Integrated suppressor. Well, integrated suppressors suck. For those that don't know, this is why integrated suppressors generally suck. You need a tax stamp to have a suppressor. So the one good thing about a suppressor and a tax stamp compared to something like uh, a, an SBR, so if we have a short barrel rifle, we get a tax stamp for it. Okay, that's for one gun. But if I have a suppressor, it has its own tax stamp. I can put it on all the different guns that I want that it can go on. So if it's integrated, you can get an integrated suppressed weapon, but it needs its own tax stamp. So who would want an integrated suppressor? Oh, it's for an air rifle. That's actually the way it has to be to be legal. So if you have a removable suppressor from an air rifle, some government bureaucrat could make the inference that this could be used on a firearm. Because a suppressor is any device designed to suppress the volume of a firearm. An air rifle is not a firearm. So the integrated suppressor on this is not designed to suppress a firearm. It's designed to suppress the air rifle that it cannot be removed from. Nice and tight package. Things accurate and it's cool as shit. $1,800. Ouch! But you know what? It might be a present to myself when this is all over. With haven't decided yet. I'm not going to say anything else on it except it would be a very quiet, and it is quiet. It is cool. We've got to watch the video. It is quiet, and it is powerful. And I would not hesitate to take big game with it, especially after like 50 yards. And it's just cool, and I wanted you to be aware of it. Its applications are obvious. It is something you can buy through the mail with no paperwork at all. And if it came down to it, it is a lethal weapon. I damn sure don't want to get shot with it. I, I, I'm dead. I mean, no way. Now, it is basically a single-shot repeater. What do I mean by that? It has an air reservoir that you charge up, and you get about five full-power shots before you need to recharge that air reservoir, but you still have some pretty significant power after those first five shots. But what I mean by single-shot repeater is you pull a, a lever out, you put a round in it, you close it. So think of it like a bolt-action rifle without a magazine, where you have to individually load rounds. But since they're 45 caliber, rather large projectiles, it's not like fumbling around, like, remember the Crossman 760 pump 
air gun that we all got in the 80s when we were kids. If you were lucky like me, your parents trusted you with air rifles. Right? Like in like 1982, 1983. And you had it shot BBs. And you could put like 1,800 BBs in it. It also shot pellets. But when you wanted to do a pellet, you pumped it up. You pulled back a little lever. And you, if you had BBs in you had to make sure you didn't tilt it so the BB didn't go in there and get in the way. And you had to pluck it out with your finger. You had a little tiny pellet. And you had to like roll it in there and close it. Right? It ain't like that. First, there's no BB to get in the way. You just pull a lever back, drop it in, and close it. About as easy as it gets. So I think it's cool. And it would be really interesting to do some exotic game hunting in Texas with. So I just might get me one of them. I, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I don't know. Maybe I can convince them into giving me one. Who knows? Anyway, with that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, you can help support the Survival Podcast really easy. A painless way to do that. Online shopping at the at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. It's getting harder and harder for me to reuse items. Because right now stuff's shipping in like April 20th. I checked today, and for most markets, the thing I've been recommending for you keto people, the Dash Mini Waffle Maker, is shipping this week. It's like within one week you can have it. I know there's pe people get all mad at me. That's not true. Amazon said, okay, you live in Jabip, Oklahoma. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't that way. For those of us near major markets, a lot of stuff is still shipping. Instead of two days, we're getting it in three. Okay? We just are. And for me, if I ordered another one of these, and I have two of them, so I won't, but if I did, it would be here Wednesday. Um, the Dash Mini Waffle Maker, if you look at my write-up today and you look at how we make these things called chaffles, they're amazing. They're one of my favorite things to eat on a keto diet. But just remember, this does a lot of things. A lot of you guys have birds. Uh, you can make a really quick little omelet with these. Really, really quick. Um, you, if you have staples like Bisquick or whatever, you can make waffles like it's designed to make. There's a ton of stuff you can do with it. Um, they're fun, and the fact that they're mini actually seems to make them work so much better than a lot of full-size waffle makers, unless you're going to go to one of the ones like they have at a restaurant that turns upside down and all. Again, I don't eat a lot of waffles, but maybe you do. Check this thing out. And look at all the cool things you can do with it, and they're 9 bucks. And check my videos out for how to make chaffles, because if you're trying to go ketogenic, Man, I'll tell you what. And, and, you know what's funny? It's easier to be ketogenic right now than it is to be mainstream diet or sad diet, standard American diet. Flour's hard to get. I haven't any trouble getting meat, just saying. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Song of the day today is by Foo Fighters, and it's called Everlong. Um, of course, lead singer from Foo Fighters uh, was part of Nirvana with uh, Kurt Cobain. So this song is a, a song about... Darkness. So a lot of people thought that it was about Kurt. It's not. It was actually written while this, the guy that wrote it um, was in the middle of a divorce and his funds were locked. He basically ended up from being, you know, fairly well off artist to homeless, sleeping in a sleeping bag. And you just feel like it's never going to end. And it's all attached to this one person. That's what the song's about. What does that make you think of? It feels like it's never going to end. It's all attached instead of to this one person, to this one thing. Doesn't that sound like a pandemic? But I think in some ways, this guy's life at that point was probably worse off than a lot of y'all's is right now. Sure, you wish everything could just go back to the way it was, and eventually it will. But sometimes there's nothing to gain perspective, like seeing how hard things are for someone else to make you count your blessings. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.